Good morning. I would like to start with a story. A story of a little boy speaking to God. He says, Lord, you know my ninth birthday will be here soon. Please give me a skateboard. I really need a skateboard. This is in capital letters, super strong, super bold print. Troy, this little boy Troy, yelled so loud that his mother ran from the kitchen to his upstairs bedroom. Standing over her kneeling son praying, she advised, Troy, the Lord isn't hard of hearing. You don't have to shout to be heard. I know, Troy replied, but I want Grandpa on the front porch to hear me too. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 as we read from God's Word this morning and continue to study this great blessing which we have today. Like this story of this boy, Troy, we sometimes yell our prayers for all to hear, not realizing that God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, and omnipresent everywhere. God knows all and sees all and is, is capable, more than capable, of doing all as long as it goes with his plan, his purpose. We continue in Ephesians. God is building a new you, and we're going to be talking about prayer today, but in a different light, a different way. We're not talking about us praying for ourselves, praying for our own wants. Our desires we will be pr- talking about praying for others We continue in Ephesians. This series of God is building a new you. Ephesians, the church epistle, the church letter, the believer's bank or Christian's checkbook. The treasure house of the Bible, a guide for spiritual health and maturity, or what some have called a survival manual for Christians and the church. This is a letter by Paul to Ephesus and those around that area in which would read this letter, in which he administered to, in which he writes to remind or to teach the followers of Christ of the great blessings and responsibilities of which they now have as the church. This is a body-building book for Christians, a body-building book for Christians. This holy and godly inspired book is all about building up the body of Christ. And it's for us too. We have great spiritual blessings in God. We have great responsibilities as being part of his church. And this scripture reminds us of these things. It challenges us of these things. It encourages us of these things. It convicts us of these things. Please follow along as I read from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 to 23, the whole chapter now as we work to end today. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4 now of Ephesians chapter 1, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished 
upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, now making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan to the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And now to the scripture which will be in today, verses 15 to 23, as we look to see Paul's thanksgiving and prayer, Paul praising God, praying for others, all to the glory of him, to God. Verse 15 goes like this. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, flooded, opened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for following along. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this glorious blessing we have in your word, the promises, the instructions, the life-saving grace and mercy we read of, the conviction. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit living within us as your believers. We thank you for you, God. Father, for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son to die for us. Lord, we pray that you bless this reading and study of your word today. Speak to us, speak through us, speak to me, speak through me, Lord, that we might hear your plan, your will, your purpose, that you might be glorified, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. We move forward today. The last few weeks, we have focused on Paul praising God for the blessed, blessed, and blessing, this three-week mini-series in this great book of Ephesians. This is actually the fifth week in the book of Ephesians, and we finish chapter one today. 
And as we come to this section of Ephesians in verses 15 to 23, we see that Paul has completed his song or praise, a celebration of these great blessings in which he's reminding us of and then gets into this crazy one long sentence praise song of what then he just can't help but to sing God to God for what he has. A celebration, a record-breaking sentence in the Greek in which he has celebrated the mutual blessings of election, redemption, salvation, having an inheritance. Now, his praise song may have ended, but he does not stop celebrating. It's just that his reason for celebrating has transitioned to a different direction. His gaze is switched from praising God for what he has blessed all of his followers with to now praising God, celebrating for what he has blessed specific people, individuals with, the ones that he's writing to, that he has heard of their faith and love. As we begin this section, we see Paul celebrating God's workings in individuals' lives. His celebration leads to prayer, and not just any prayer, but prayer for others and to the glory of God. Of God. We also see a great model here today of praying for others to the glory of God. We see a great model for us to follow, starting with first, we should be quick to celebrate God's workings in our lives and others. Second, celebration should lead to prayer as we praise God for his workings, his blessings, of which he has so graciously blessed us with. And then finally, when praying, we can follow Paul's example here by praying for others into the glory of God for his will, for his purpose, for his blessings. Not just your desires, but for others and for God. We're going to be going into great detail of this prayer model here shortly. But Paul starts with celebrating God's working in individuals' lives, the outworking of the blessings that he has been singing of in verses 3 to 14. Now he sees it specifically in the Ephesians. Let's read verse 15 of chapter 1 again. If you have it up in front of you, you're welcome to look down. Chapter 1 of verse, verse 15 says this, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Now, some commentators say that this, for this reason, can be pointing forward to what he's about to say and to what God does, but also to the past, to what he's been praising God for as well. And both can be true, but I want to take it this direction. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Paul celebrates the working of God in not just all believers' lives, but specifically now to the ones he's writing to. This is a letter, after all. But what are these workings of God? Well, he goes on to say, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. The workings of God of which he now celebrates for this reason, because I have heard of your faith. It is the working of God in their life that they have come to join him in faith in Jesus. And secondly, they have shown love towards other believers. Faith and love, these are characteristics of a true Christian. It is by faith we are saved and by his love. And love comes out of our newfound faith. Faith, Paul celebrates 
hearing of the individual's faith, faith. Their lives changed. Paul celebrates hearing of their faith. Let me ask you before we go forward, how often do you celebrate someone's faith in Jesus? A family member, a friend, a neighbor, maybe a total stranger. We were at a restaurant the other day and just, <laughs> with a group of pastors, of course. Um, you're going to hear about this, I would hope. But I would also hope that not just as pastors, as all of us, we can look for opportunities to bring up the gospel with total strangers. And the other day at a restaurant up in Barron, we did just that as we planted little seeds and asked this lady about the gospel, the good news of Christ, and if she knew Christ, if she knew this good news. As we talked to her, just briefly, I mean, this is 30 seconds about where she went to church. And when she said, yes, I know Jesus, maybe not in those exact words, we said, praise Jesus for your salvation. Praise God. Again, maybe not in those exact words, but we celebrated. Do you celebrate someone's faith in Jesus? A family member, a friend, a neighbor, maybe a total stranger. When was the last time you heard of someone's faith in Jesus? And your celebration led you to prayer and praise of God. When was the last time that you looked for an opportunity to ask them if they had faith in Jesus? If they knew of the good news of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, so that we might be forgiven of our sins and have a lasting, restored relationship with the Father. Let's take this a step further. Paul is writing these people, telling them of his celebration. Do you tell others of your praise for their faith? Do you tell others of your prayers for them? Because telling them could be encouraging and convicting to them as they, as they hear what you have noticed and what you celebrate, what you remember, what you pray for. As they hear you say, I've noticed your faith and love. I've heard of it and I celebrate it. I remember you, I remember you in my prayers. And they think, really? Oh, Lord, thank you for them praying for me. Paul is not celebrating just any type of faith here. Paul celebrates not faith that today will be better than yesterday, not faith in friendship or love, not faith in a job or in a boss or in a hobby. Paul is celebrating the saving faith of Jesus by accepting him as Lord that he has heard that they have. This is faith that matters. This is faith that brings life. This is faith that brings life-defining faith. Next, Paul celebrates their love of fellow believers. Love towards others is a natural side effect of faith in Jesus. Love towards others is a natural side effect of faith in Jesus. Loving others is also evidence of our faith. It is evidence of a radically transformed life and understanding of what one has been gifted. And in 1 John chapter 2, 9-11, we read, 1 John 2, 9-11, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Loving others is not only an evidence of faith in Jesus, but is commanded by God himself. 
You see, loving others is not optional. It is required in obedience to him. But it should not be hard for Christians as we have received the greatest act of love, God's gracious, merciful gift to us in Jesus. This should come natural to us now. When Jesus was asked what was the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, he stated, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. John 15, 12 says, My command is this, to love each other as I have loved you. Later in Ephesians 4, 32, Paul says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. God's word is full of scriptures, illustrating love. In fact, depending on what translation you use, it could be anywhere from 300 up to 1,000 references to love. Of course, in different Greek words with different meanings behind it, a friendly love, an intimate love. But God celebrates love. God requires love. And we are to love Jesus says that they will know my disciples by their love. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Paul's, Paul's celebration here leads to prayer. Paul's celebration here leads to prayer. And another great model for us to see and follow for both others and ourselves. He starts with making sure that they know of his continual thanking of God for them. Again, a great application for us. Let's read once again verse 16 to 19 of Ephesians 1, hopefully in front of you in your laps. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This isn't just him praying and remembering them in his prayers. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. He's telling them I'm remembering you. I'm praying for you. We need to make sure we're telling people that. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is he praying for? What is he remembering them for? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, flooded open with understanding that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the workings of his great might. Now first, Paul prays in verse 17 that God would give them wisdom. The type of wisdom he speaks of here is a deep wisdom of God and not useless wisdom for all wisdom from God is useful. Not wisdom which goes in one ear and out the other, but a wisdom which should be effectively and practically applied to one's life. Applying divine truths to everyday circumstances so that God would be glorified and seen in us in all things at all times in all ways. Boy, oh boy. Ephesians is just full of useful ac applications. It's no wonder that this book was referred to as a believer's bank with no limit as to, as to how much can be drawn 
withdrawn from this bank. A good friend, which many of you know greatly, Jim Springer, often asked me and others at the end of a Bible study, now what is the application? This scripture is full of applications. In fact, I struggled to write out this sermon because I just felt like the entire scripture here is just full of application points. And another is this. We too should be praying for divine godly wisdom upon both fellow believers others, and ourself. We need to be praying that the church would know God deeply. When was the last time you prayed for this? Not just for yourself. I mean, I think we do pray for that quite often. God, give us wisdom. Give me wisdom, Lord. Help me know what to do here. But it's not just about yourself. It's about others. And it's about building up the church of Christ. So that God would be glorified and seen in you. When was the last time you prayed that God would give others wisdom, knowledge? You see, knowing God and being wise, knowing God and being wise, I lost my place. I'll just move forward. Knowing God and being wise are tied together. True wisdom is only found through knowing God. True wisdom is only found in knowing God. There we are. One pastor once said that trying to be wise without knowing God is like trying to fly an airplane without having the knowledge to do so or a tower to help guide you. Let me say that again. Trying to be wise without knowing God is like trying to fly an airplane without having the knowledge to do so or a tower to help guide you. You see, knowing God and being wise are tied together. True wisdom is only found through knowing God, and we all need God's knowledge to live righteous lives and his guidance to see what we can't. Paul prays in verse 18, for enlightenment of their hearts. Specifically, verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? One translation, instead of enlightenment, says flooded open. Having the eyes of your hearts flooded open, enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Notice now, one, that they would know the hope that they have been called to through Jesus. We may know many friends on social media, acquaintances really, but we do not truly know them all. We don't know them well. Paul prays that they would be enlightened, flooded open to truly know and understand the hope and blessings they have been called to through Christ. And then two, the riches of his glorious inheritance. This is an inheritance only for saints. You are saints. You're set apart by your relationship with the Father through God, Son, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit in which you've been blessed with. You are saints. And as saints, you're a part of a new family, God's family, in the church of Jesus. This comes with distinct purposes, divine purpose. God has called you. And with this comes a wealth of spiritual blessings and inheritance. 
But do you remember them? Do you know them? Do you trust them? Because those who trust in Jesus have a wealth of spiritual blessings. And as one pastor said, there are no spiritually poor in the family of God. There are no spiritually poor in the family of God. You are wealthy. Remember verse 3 on where we learned that believers, saints, have every spiritual blessing. In verse 3 to 14, Paul has been praising God as a teacher that reminds the readers of this letter of the unlimited blessings in which believers who trust in Jesus are given through their, fa- their faith. Blessings which he refers to as an inheritance. And this inheritance is available only through Jesus. You see, it's not knowing about a guy. It's about knowing a savior. It's about knowing God. It's about the God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit of which you've been given. Many Christians may be living as if they are spiritually poor. But it's not that they do not have a vault full of treasures. It is that they fail to put in the combination to the lock of which we all now know and open the door to the great values inside. Paul here prays that they would be enlightened to the riches which they have received through their inheritance in him. It's one thing to know about it. It's another thing to understand its worth and use it appropriately. Or otherwise put, it is one thing to know of the great blessings, but it's another thing to fully understand them, appreciate them, and use them continually and appropriately. This is what Paul prays for. Remember, God will always give his church, true followers, what is needed to fulfill his purpose. We must ask ourselves, though, is what we are praying for, asking for, for God's purpose and glory alone or ourselves? Is this for his timing or ours? Does it glorify him and go along with his teachings, his will and plan of which we see in his word? Paul prays in verse 19 for understanding of the greatness and power of God of which they now have. And as Paul starts to conclude his prayer, not with de-escalation, but with more and more power and praise, he prays that they would understand what is the immeasurable greatness and power of God of which they now have. As Paul starts to conclude He speaks of God's great power. Verse 19 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the workings of his great might. Paul reminds readers, us included, not what is to come, but what we have already from the moment of salvation. We have great spiritual blessings available to us now. Paul prays that these believers would understand the greatness of their wealth of which they have received. Notice that Paul does not simply state that they would know God's power, but that they would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe and according to the workings of his great might. God's power is more than anything we can imagine. It is immeasurable. But Paul prays that God would help them to understand it. To help them to understand that God's great power, his greatness, is more than enough. It's more than capable. It's more than able. It's more than whatever is needed to accomplish great things and take care of his children. The immeasurable greatness and power is available to those who believe now. 
from the moment of salvation and forevermore when in line with his purpose and will. But what is this power? How do we understand this? What does it look like? Well, let's read verse 20 to 23 now. That he worked in Christ, this power, this greatness, this immeasurable might. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what does this immeasurable greatness and power look like? Verses 20 to 23 give us some idea. It's the greatness and power of God in which he exercised in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Verses 20 to 22 and 23 help us to understand this. What does this mean for us? Well, it means that the same God who raised Jesus from the dead is also your father in heaven whom you have a restored relationship with through his son, Jesus. And this same God, who has such greatness and power, is looking after you with a purpose and a plan in mind for his glory. He will do great things through you because of this. He has done great things through you. Think your life is terrible? Remember the hope you have in him. Remember this great spiritual blessings you have in him. Think your life is terrible? Wait, for God is doing something amazing in you for his glory. And he is glorified in all things. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we, not, we need not fear death. Because of the resurrection of Christ, life has meaning, purpose, and hope. Continue to look to the greatness of the resurrection power of Christ and know that the same power is available to you today and forevermore. Jesus Christ is now seated above every ruler and authority, power and dominion. Jesus not only lives forevermore, but he reigns forevermore. He is ruling even now and he has a plan for the future to rule over all with us in his presence with grace and truth forevermore. Because of this, we can be reminded to trust him with everything. There is hope. We can be reminded by this that whatever is happening to us now does not control us, for only God is in control. Jesus will reign, and we will be with him for all eternity. Nothing in this life now need define you, or even can truly define you, for he is the one who is defining you now. Will you align your life with his rule? Will you trust him as Lord? Will you be one remembered and celebrated and prayed for for your faith and love? The scripture reminds us that he is the head of the church appointed by God the Father. We are his. He is ours. What will we do knowing this? Will we follow him? Will we submit to him? Will we trust him? Christ fills the church with his presence. He is the head, we are the body. 
He explains, he tells us what to do with, as the head, and we follow. We do not fill Christ, he fills us, and with that comes great spiritual blessings, gifts, grace, and a fullness of hope. We are dependent on Christ, not the world. And this is encouraging news indeed, because we are blessed. Let's get to some final applications from the scripture that we've been in today before we close. Starting with this, grace fuels and ignites heartfelt praise. Are you feeling sluggish? Focus on this chapter and the amazing grace of our triune God. Praise him. Paul hears of how God's grace has impacted these people. And he praises God and he prays for them. We must seek his face and sing his praises. We must pray for others and yourself to know him deeply. Study his word and pray for others and yourself to understand the riches that you have in Christ and to use them appropriately. Glorify God. I close with this challenge, which I found in a book, and it just went along greatly. I don't even remember the author. It is not my words. But it says, the gospel whets our appetite for God. Take Paul's prayer in Ephesus 1 and make it into your prayer. For other believers and yourself, store up your heart with the glory of God's grace to desire to know him better. Pray fervently for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to give you more illumination about the riches of Jesus Christ in which you now have as believers, as followers who trust in him. Let's pray and close in prayer now. Lord, we thank you for the great and glorious grace of which you've blessed us with through Jesus Christ as Lord. We pray now that you might be glorified, Lord. We pray that you might give us great, deep understandings of these blessings, Lord. That we might have more illumination about the riches of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for others to trust in you. And Lord, we pray for others, other believers, that they would know you deeply. May you help us in doing these things now. Amen.